Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, please. Ephesians chapter 1. Let me read to you verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. Amen Amen and Amen. Last Lord's Day, we went through verses 3 through 6, which is the first sentence of this treasure chest of God's glorious grace. We saw that in verse 3, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ identified as our God. Our God's name is Jehovah. He is unlike Buddha, Allah, Mohammed, Vishnu, Rama, the Great Spirit, or any other God. And here he's identified as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ corrects all misunderstandings and confusion about the identity of any God. What does he say and what is his relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ? Our God is the God that Jesus worshipped and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that God, our God, the Bible God, the Lord Jehovah, has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. 
there are changes that have taken place in heaven regarding each of us. And all the blessings have been assigned to us. And they are all ours through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because they are all in Christ. All these spiritual blessings are in Christ. And we have been put in Christ, as the next verse tells us, according as He hath chosen us in Him. God has given us all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Those spiritual blessings are spiritual. They're in heavenly places. They are changes in God's view of us. They are justification. They are redemption. They are the forgiveness of sins. They are glorification. So certain is glorification that in Romans chapter 8, when it is listed as one of the benefits of God's predestinating purpose in our lives, the past tense is used, though even Paul writing it was not yet glorified. But these spiritual blessings are certain for us. He has blessed us with them. He has not offered them to us. He has blessed us by giving them to us. And He gave them to us before the world began. In Christ, by covenant. Before the world began, there was no Jesus Christ. There was God the Word. The second person in the Trinity. Fully God. Not begotten in any sense. And there was the Holy Spirit. Not proceeding in any sense, but a triune God. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. That is the doctrine of the Bible and it is our doctrine. Jesus was born of Mary and has a birth certificate. And is approximately 2,000 years old. He did not exist before the world began, except by covenant. And neither did you exist before the world began, except by covenant. And we were given to Him by covenant of the in the eternal decrees of the living God. In His mind, He chose us in Christ. And that transaction has been revealed to us. Because we now know the mystery of the mind of the living God. Because it's been written down for us. Before the world began, He assigned inconceivable blessings, spiritual blessings, to each of us in Christ. Though neither of us, the surety of our covenant, nor we the beneficiaries of that covenant, even existed yet. But our names were written down. Your name... Angela was written down before the foundation of the world in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 13, 8 and 17, 8 tell us that. But this verse tells us that in verse 4, that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world with the object of making us holy, with the object, that's sanctification, with the object of making us without blame, that is justification, with the object of having us before Him in love. That is the everlasting love of God. He could not love us outside of Christ, so He put us in Christ where He could, would, did, has, and always will love us. Verse 5, He predestinated us. 
He determined beforehand our destiny and our destination. Our destiny was to be a son of God. Our destination is to have the universe as our inheritance. Because it says, predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. God adopted us for himself. God, the living God, the Lord Jehovah, the only God, wants you. I'll go ahead and get you again, Angela. God wants you. Unto Himself. By Jesus Christ. He had to pay an adoption fee. To get us out of the claims of His own justice against us. And the Lord Jesus Christ paid that so He could adopt us. And all of this was because He felt sorry for us. Because we were asking Him to do it? No, we were very happy as the children of the devil. It says, according to the good pleasure of His will. We are learning about the will of God. It is a mystery to the whole world. It was hidden from angels and men. But it is revealed to us by the Gospel. We know what God was thinking. We know what God planned. We know what God determined. We know God's decrees. We know God's covenant because it's revealed to us in the Bible. And it was His good pleasure to give these unbelievable spiritual blessings to us through His Son Jesus Christ before the world began. To the praise of the glory of His grace. This is why He did it. He wants His grace to appear as glorious as it truly is, and for us to praise it, which we have done already today, and we shall do some more of today. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. In this gracious plan of His, He put us in Christ so that we would be holy. He is holy. We have to be holy to be compatible to Him. He put us in Christ for we are without blame so that we are just in His sight. So that He can accept us. So He did accept us. He made us accepted. He didn't just make us acceptable. That is too weak of a construction in language. He made us accepted because He's already accepted us. It's not that we're acceptable hoping for acceptance. In a legal sense, we're already accepted before Genesis 1-1. So last Lord's Day was entitled, Accepted and Adopted. Unbelievable. Incredible. From the mind of God to us. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. And there wasn't anything meta, mental or metaphysical or metaphorical about Him. The Lord Jesus was a man on this earth 2,000 years ago, the Son of God. He lived and He died and He rose again and He lives forever at the right hand of God. And everything is by Him, through Him, to Him, because of Him. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 is a wonderful chapter. We we'll spend a little bit of time in it. I don't know yet how long. It is wonderful. Do you understand the first sentence 
that I've covered with you, and I've done it before. But this sentence of verses 3 through 6, do you understand it? That these incredible spiritual blessings were given us in Christ Jesus by election and predestination before the world began, all to the praise of his glorious grace. That's what it says. We believe it. You can hate it. You can resent it. If it wasn't for it, there'd be no one saved. You could offer you could offer eternal life or you could offer heaven as many times as you wanted and no matter how eloquent you were or persuasive or what kind of miracles you could bring to bear, the Lord Jesus Christ would say that even if Lazarus was to come back from the dead, it would be insufficient to persuade a single person of heaven. That if they will not sit in the synagogue and hear the scriptures read and preached to them, they will not be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. It's all based on electing grace. Chapter 1 is all of the electing grace primarily put forth for us in predestination, and chapter 2 is regenerating grace because it starts out with the words, and you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Though we were chosen in Christ, holy, without blame, in love, we then take on existence in the world like Jesus took on existence. We took, I took on existence 58 years ago. And sometime during my life, God the Holy Spirit had to put forth regenerating power. The same power that it took to raise Jesus from the dead, according to chapter 1. If anyone ever believes the gospel, it is because the same power was put forth toward them that was put forth to bring the dead corpse of the Lord Jesus Christ to life and to animation and to eating and drinking with his apostles for for 40 days by many infallible proofs that he was indeed alive. Well, now we come to verses 7 through 12. The chapter is beautiful. We, We are in a hopeless problem, and I will not repeat all that I said last Lord's Day about the hopeless problem that we are in by Adam, by nature, by our continual sinning, that we have no way to undo it, that we have no way to escape, that we have no way to please God. He that is in the flesh cannot please God. We we think the gospel is foolishness. There's There's going to be no cooperation on our part because we don't have the ability for it. We don't have the desire for it. The motives of our heart are all corrupted and perverse. We are hopelessly lost. So we're in a hopeless problem. And the provision was made in verses 3 through 6 that God chose us in Christ Jesus before the world began. There's not a bit of cooperation. It had nothing to do with anyone's will except his will. It had nothing to do with anyone's pleasure except his pleasure. It had nothing to do with anyone's purpose except his purpose. And I love it that way. And I thank God for the converted Arminians I've met in my life that have told me, because I know it to be true myself, that they had no assurance of eternal life until they understood the doctrines of election and predestination. Because to, to actually think that because you invited Jesus into your heart at three years of age, when you didn't know how to ride a bicycle without training wheels, that you invited Jesus into your heart and the Lord Jehovah of heaven bent over in his throne and wrote your name in the book of life for you to imagine that, it gets kind of scary in life as you turn 13 and go to a funeral and realize what I did at three is utterly irrelevant. I was a moron. 
my IQ was somewhere in single digits. If there could have been any questions asked that I could have answered at three. Let's leave that alone right now, lest I say more. To sit in Bob Jones University and have them get to the end of a sermon and say, if you are absolutely sure that if you walked out of here and were killed in an automobile accident that you would go to heaven, stand up. You know, you've got to make a decision. Do I stand up and lie, and then I'll ask God to forgive me because I'm not totally sure, or do I stay seated so that they can have their soul-winning monsters come chasing me down afterwards to get another confession out of me? I mean, I've already invited them into my heart 1,316 times. What will another time do for me? So what do I do? I'll go ahead and stand. No apostle ever did anything so ridiculous and stupid. They didn't have to come up with any gimmicks like that at the end at all. The apostle Stephen just came up with a gimmick at the end. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ear, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. Paul, at the end of his little sermon on Mars Hill with the Greek philosophers, came to the end and said, God hath assured you, philosophers, that he is coming back to judge you by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. And he walked out. But you know what? There were men and women in that assembly that got up and walked out right behind him. Right. Because all the gospel is, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I didn't come with wisdom or eloquence of men. I just laid the gospel out there and made it manifest to your conscience. And when it's made manifest to the conscience of an elect, regenerate person, they will love what they hear. Let's come to the next sentence. The second sentence of this treasure chest runs from verse 7 down through 12. Let's get started in verse 7. In whom we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Continuing in the list of all spiritual blessings given to us in heavenly places in Christ, he gets to verse 7 and mentions redemption. But before he mentions redemption, he mentions in whom? Brethren, it is our union with the Lord Jesus Christ by God's choice that is the basis and the foundation of everything that we will ever enjoy. Our union with Christ. In the sight of God, we are His. He is ours. He is yours. We are the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. The last verses of this chapter. We are of His bone and of His flesh. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, this is an excellent epistle about the everlasting union of God and His elect. When Paul is concluding his teaching on marriage in chapter 5, he says, I'm, I'm sharing a mystery with you. That really the things I've been saying describe the relationship of Jesus Christ and His church. That is how tightly we are together. He's the head, we're the body. He's the groom, we're the bride. He's the cornerstone, we're the building. 
He's the fullness of all in all. We fill Him out. Without us, He's incomplete. That is how tightly we, united we are to Him. The, no sooner can you go to hell. Please hear me. No sooner can you go to hell than God will send His own Son, Jesus Christ, to hell. That is how closely you are connected to Him. There is no difference. You are in Him. He took your sins and paid for them on the cross. God gave His righteousness to you. In God's sight, your sins are paid for. Christ's righteousness is upon you. You have already been accepted before Genesis 1.1. The creation of the world, the fall of man... There is nothing remedial about it. God did not do anything to remedy a situation that developed because of our rebellion that He was not aware of. Everything that happened in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 happened according to His predestinating purpose. He did not make Adam and Eve sin. sin. They sinned most willingly. He could have put up a flaming cherub to keep the way of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He put the flaming cherub after they ate the fruit off of one tree so they couldn't get to the next one. Why didn't He put it up for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because it was His intent and His plan that He would allow man, and it was His purpose because all of His allowances are always according to His purpose or His allowances mean nothing. That man would sin. And that uh, he already had the elect members of that fallen race written in the Lamb's book of life to live an everlasting life. That is all contained in other sermons such as the dominion of God. But in, in whom? In whom? Look at verse 11. In whom also? Because we've got two things. Do you know what today is entitled? Redemption and inheritance. They're both in Christ. Everything's in Christ because... All spiritual blessings are in Christ. Right. Everything in heaven is in Christ. Every, all heavenly things, all, all the things in heavenly places that benefit you and prosper you are in Christ. Everything is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We want to love the Lord Jesus Christ more. We want to lift Him up in our church. We want to sing about Him. We want to talk about Him. We want to obey Him and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The importance of being in Christ cannot be overstated. These first two words, and I will not take this long on all the other words, but I want you to understand the in whom and how important it is. In whom is the beloved from verse 6. Who is the beloved? This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The beloved is the Lord Jesus Christ. The man, Christ Jesus. He is able, He is touched with the feeling of all your infirmities. He is a most able and willing, cooperative and understanding, great high priest. You may go to Him at any time. He has endured all the temptations that you have endured, yet without sin, but He did endure them. And in that He hath suffered being tempted, He is able to succor or to help them that are tempted. He's glorious, and He's our priest, and we're in Him. We're tightly bound up in Him. We are the fullness of Him. 
We are of his bone and of his flesh. You say, did he take a rib out and make us that way? No, he just put us into him. Closer than Adam and Eve. You know, he ripped a part out of Adam to make Eve. He's just put us inside the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us rejoice. I want you to notice how thoroughly Paul wants us to understand this in this particular passage of Scripture. Look at verse 1. This will take a moment, but it's worth it. Let me say again. In days gone by, when men used to study theology and soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation, they had things like the Ordo Salutis. That's the order of salvation. No one even knows what it is today. They've got it all confused. They've got the order all messed up. But it was called the Ordo Salutis. We have the five phases of salvation because we know that there is an Ordo Salutis in the Bible. They had the eternal union of the elect with Jesus Christ. They wrote songs about it. That's why we sang 453 in our Burgundy hymnals. It was with an everlasting love. That we, the elect, lay on the bosom of Christ as his bride in eternity. That's close. Laying on his bosom. John Kent, that shipwright from England that wrote those songs, that men even then didn't like his songs because there was too much emphasis on election and predestination because that is high Calvinism and it was just too high for them. But we're thankful for that high Calvinism that starts back before the foundation of the world, establishing our relationship in Christ way back then, because that's what the Bible teaches. Do you think that Genesis 1-1 occurred and all of a sudden God got surprised in chapter 3? Do you think that he's trying to save the entire race and he's going to be a miserable failure in 98% of them? It's all to a glorious plan, to the display of his attributes, to the universe. Look at, look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse 1, in Christ Jesus. We're in him. I've got to ask you, are you faithful? If you're not faithful, verse 1 doesn't really apply to you. And if verse 1 doesn't apply to you, Neither does the rest of the chapter. You don't have any evidence of it applying to you. Verse 3. Looking at the end of that verse, again, it's in Christ. All spiritual blessings are in Christ. Verse 4. We are chosen in Him, according as He hath chosen us in Him. Verse 6. We are made accepted in the Beloved. We're in Him. When God looks for us, When God looks for you, He finds you in Christ. He looks at Christ. He has to look into Christ to see you. He has to look into Christ to see me. I'm accepted. I'm chosen. I'm holy. I'm without blame. I'm an object of His love. And so are you. By this eternal union that we have with the Son of God. That was verse 6. So we're in Christ Jesus eternally, verses 3 through 6, legally, verses 6 and 7, and even vitally, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, where it says that God hath raised us up together, raised us up together, and made us sit together. Now Paul's speaking in the past tense, and Paul's still on earth, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There is a vital connection 
between our new man and Christ. Our new man is created in the image of him that created it. So it looks just like Jesus Christ, and there is a vital union. We cannot be separated from him. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you seek to live for him, and you're baptized in his name, and you bring forth works and add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge and so forth, as we have learned before, you are in Christ. It's just as possible for Jesus to be sent to hell by God as it is for you to be sent. Embrace the one that you're in. Amen. The Father and Spirit have roles in our salvation. God chose us in Christ. The Spirit applies Christ to us in regenerating us. But the Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you love Romans 8.1? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. How do we get in Christ Jesus? God chose us in Him as these verses teach us. Now I love Colossians 2.10 that starts out with these words. And ye are complete in Him. And ye are complete in Him. I'm not complete in me. But I'm complete in Him. And when God looks at me, He looks at me in Christ. And I'm complete. Everything has been provided. You're complete in Him. Do you remember that sermon? More than a decade ago? And you're complete in Him when we were preaching through Colossians. Thank you, Lord. So we want to look at those words, in whom, and not just pass over them lightly, but embrace them, love them, understand them, and build our faith on them. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, do you want to know if you're in Christ? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, and I do believe 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, is practical salvation. Therefore, if any man be in Christ practically, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That doesn't mean you don't ever sin, but your overall lifestyle is totally different than what it was before. Lord, help us to prove. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Put on Jesus Christ every day, and you can know that you're in Him. Redeem is an economic or financial term to buy back something from another's claim. God's fully revealed His grace in saving us under different terms. We call them the facets of salvation. It's one of my favorite subjects and favorite things that the Lord has shown us and revealed to us to think about that all these different words in the Bible to mean to describe salvation to us in different ways. The word saved just means to deliver from some danger or punishment. The word saved is kind of weak in general. And so the Lord's come up with all these different terms. We have close to 20 of them in a sermon series called The Facets of Salvation that I would recommend for you to consider listening to or at least looking through the outline. And redeem is one of them. Because redeem has more meaning than save. It means to buy back from a claim that is against us. To free up mortgaged property, to get rid of a lien against a property. I mean, it's just a wonderful word, and it's big and broad, and I preached it to you just a few months ago. There's a six-page outline or so on our website about blood redemption. And I would encourage you to consider that. Redemption is a grand theme in the Bible. You know, the Lord uses legal terms like justification 
He uses relational terms like reconciliation. He uses uh, legal terms or financial terms, depending on how you're using this one, as pardon or atonement, which is a religious term, or sanctification is a religious term, or adoption is a familial term, meaning it pertains to a family that He's adopted us and made us His sons. God chose all these words so that we can take the diamond of salvation and turning it in the light of God's Word, see all these different facets of what He's done for us. They are the all spiritual blessings that are ours in heavenly places in Christ. They're incredible. And they rise from justification. Justification is to be without blame. Well, thank you. That would keep me from hell. So I'm floating through the universe for the rest of my existence out of hell. Lonely, but I'm without blame. You know, they call it just as if I'd never sinned. Oh, such a weak definition of justification. Justification is just as if you'd never sinned and just as if you had lived the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Please get both sides of it. But here I am floating through the universe, lonely, No friends, nothing to do, don't own anything, lost in space. But I'm justified. And so we turn that diamond of salvation just a little bit. What in the world? Adoption. I'm a son of God. The angels are my servants. I'm a joint heir of the universe with Jesus Christ. Totally different. We get to heaven, and there's four beasts crying out, Holy! 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 And like Isaiah, we're intimidated by the holiness of God. And so we turn the the diamond of salvation to see the facet sanctification. That God's chosen us in Christ before the world began that we should be holy. Oh, it's beautiful. Sorry. Redemption. We're not making much progress. Redemption is to buy back something from another's claim. It's a grand theme of the Bible. In the book of Job, in the book of Job, Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, because thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Out of every kindred, tongue, nation, and people. Many examples of redemption occur in the Bible. Do you remember that if you were a farmer and you had an ass born on your farm, you had two choices. Do you remember? You have an ass. God doesn't like asses. Yes, He made them good and very good. As far as these words make sense to you, He's a good ass. It's sort of a contradiction in terms. But that was an unclean animal. God didn't want... Can you... Oh. Can you imagine Aaron, the high priest, putting an ass on the altar of God? That'd be like McDonald's selling horse meat. Oh, they did. No, they don't. An ass. So you have an ass born. Here's this little stump staggering around cold ass. What do you need to do to it? You have two choices. Pick it up. And break its neck. That's what it's... Break its neck. Or take a lamb out of your flock and offer it in its stead. That was to redeem the ass. 
because the firstborn that opened the matrix or cervix of every animal was the Lord's because he killed the firstborn in Egypt. Should we run that rabbit a little ways? The firstborn of Almighty God is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he redeemed us by his firstborn, the Lamb of God. But the firstborn that opened the matrix was always the Lord's. And so if you had an ugly ass that you could use to pull a cart, you had to break its neck or offer a lamb in its place. If you offered the lamb, then you could keep the ass. God offered the lamb and he kept the ass. Amen. And I'm happy to be the Lord's ass. But he's made me his son and I don't want to dilute his word. Real estate transactions that I've had to think about this past week require extensive deed and title research to avoid any liens. You have found a house. You're so excited. You sign a contract and put 3% down because you're promising to perform in purchasing this house and you give it over to an attorney who's supposed to go do all the work on the deed and title to the piece of property. You're so excited, you're taking pictures of it, you're walking through it, you're filming it. You've put it on Facebook, you've put it on Twitter. You know, the whole world knows about this house that you've bought. And all of a sudden, a letter arrives to you, or I guess it might be an email today, with the letterhead of a lawyer. And the lawyer says, we have a little problem. The house has been condemned. And six weeks from now, it's scheduled to be burned and bulldozed. And then they're going to sell the piece of property at public auction. Wow, that's a big problem. You know, you've promised to perform. And you found a a claim against, a lien against this real estate or what's called real property. Do you know what real property is in the universe? Um, A little emphasis on the word real. It's you and me. Do you know when the lawyer's the lawyers of God's justice and holiness take a look at us? Are there any liens against us? The lien of Adam? The lien of ourselves? And we've been condemned to die eternally in the lake of fire. What is redemption? To get rid of that claim against the house, it can be called redeemed, or to get rid of that claim against us. And that's what God has done through Jesus Christ. He bought us back by paying the price off. He paid off Adam's sin by the second Adam. He paid off all my sins by his righteousness. I am free. I am no claims against me. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Romans 8.33 That's redemption in whom we have redemption, through his blood. What was the price? His own precious blood. There is no mystery quality in the blood of Jesus Christ. He had a blood type just like we have a blood type. He had a blood type that was the combination of Mary and Joseph. I'm sure Jesus looked like Mary and Joseph. Joseph didn't have any direct contribution to him, but God had to make him look like someone. And we know what God would have done for his son, not to have caused any trouble for 30 years 
And so there wasn't any, and everyone presumed that he was the son of Joseph because they all said so. That is irrelevant, and please don't think, spend any more time on that thought. Think about this fact, that it was through his blood. And when blood is mentioned, and we are going to remember his blood today by a cup of wine, that blood is a symbol of his death. Because it is blood that runs out of the body that brings it to a point of death. And that's what the value of the blood of Christ is. The value is not in the cross, so the tree. It's the death that occurred on the cross. Right. And the blood, is, the blood is part of that death of Jesus Christ for us. But His blood was shed, and the word blood is mentioned so many times because from the beginning of the law of Moses, the emphasis was on the shed blood of animals that was sprinkled on the mercy seat in the great day of atonement. The price is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, For we are not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And what a wonderful play on words, because silver and gold are precious metals. But Peter says they're not. We're we're redeemed with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If Arminians are right, and that Jesus died a general atonement in order to save everybody, And the only way that people go to heaven is if you give enough money for missions to get it to them, then redemption is by silver and gold. But redemption is not by silver and gold. It is by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and that only. And we dealt with that from a different angle on Wednesday evening as we went over the Great Commission. You were bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. And so the Bible reasons from that, we ought to glorify Him in both body and spirit. The verse goes on to say that in this redemption, we have the forgiveness of sins. When God bought us back from the claims of His justice, it included forgiving us all our sins. Sometimes a debt can be said to have been forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. They are gone. They are expunged from the record. We have no sins against us. God's forgiven them. We are without blame. We are holy. We're in love before Him. Many things could be said about the forgiveness of our sins. Do you know that in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, it tells us that the devil who once accused the brethren to God, like he accused Job, that Job was a money-grubbing hypocrite. That the only reason that Job served God was because God had put a hedge about him and protected him and blessed everything that he touched. If you'll take away his stuff, he'll curse you to your face. That's accusing the brethren. But Revelation 12.10 tells us, when Jesus Christ ascended up into heaven, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? The devil was thrown out of heaven, and so they sang a new song. They're not going to sing a new song. They sang a new song 2,000 years ago. The accuser of the brethren is cast down. Because we've been forgiven. And it says, according to the riches of His grace. It is on the basis of God's rich grace. What is riches of His grace? He called it the glory of His grace in verse 6. He called it the riches of His glory in Romans 9.23. All glory to God and His rich grace. He uses these terms to just lift it and exalt it and show us the incredible value of His grace 
and His glorious grace and the riches of His grace and the unsearchable riches of Christ that I tried to preach to you several months ago. Why would a holy God forgive rebel enemies' sins? 2.7 tells us that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. That's why He would do it. So that in the ages to come, He can keep reminding us of his ex- the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness through Christ Jesus. Of how kind He was to us to forgive us all those sins and to adopt us and make us joint heirs with Jesus Christ. If you say that your sins are too many or too great, He says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Amen. You know, and He told us why He gave us the law. Listen, the Apostle Paul, after dealing with the first and second Adam in verses 12 through 19 of Romans 5, Romans 5, 12 through 19, wherefore as by one man, by one man's disobedience we were made sinners, by one man's obedience we're made righteous. That passage, when we get done with that, moreover the law entered. Because he, he took his reasoning about salvation all the way back to Adam. Genesis. Then he takes us back to Exodus 20. The law entered. Moses. Moreover the law entered. Why did the law enter? Why did God have Mount Sinai and Moses get the Ten Commandments and the other 715 commandments. That the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, you know, when we look into the law, oh, it covers every part of your life. It covers every part of your life. It covers every woman's period. It covers everything. It covers how you treat animals. It covers what you do when you find a mother bird sitting on its eggs. It covers everything. It covers how you boil a goat that you do not see that in its mother's milk. It covers every part of your life. Civil, national, neighborly, property, everything. Worship, sacrifices, peace offerings, sin off, everything. The law entered. Why did God give us the law? That the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, Grace did much more abound. And so when we read here, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, there is no sin left. There's none of your sinfulness left. It's all covered legally in the sight of God because He sees you in Christ. Amen. We will take up the rest when we return. Turn in your Bibles to the epistle of Jude, and we will sing the last two verses of Jude before our break. <clears throat> 